Warning, this show may contain adult language that is not suitable for all audiences. This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to the interview edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, joined by a plethora of guests this week. And it's a very rare interview edition where we're focusing a lot on the PFL this week. This is, I believe, to be the biggest week that we've ever seen in the PFL outside of the confines of the season. You've got Kayla Harrison returning. You've got the announcement of the Super Fight pay-per-view division. A lot going on in the PFL. So two of the principals in those particular conversations, of course, are Kayla Harrison herself, who will join us on the TSN MMA Show interview edition, as will the CEO of the PFL, Peter Murray. I keep wanting to call him Peter Murphy because I'm a fan of the band Bauhaus. But Peter Murray, the CEO, to talk about the upcoming season, signing Kayla Harrison, what they have envisioned for the super fight division. So stay tuned for those interviews. And of course, we've got interviews pertaining to this weekend's UFC Fight Night card. Now, last week's pay-per-view was a great card, but let's not dismiss this card. There's a lot of incredible fights this weekend in the main event. Magomed Ankalaev looks to cement himself as a future title challenger, taking on Thiago Maheta Santos. Ankalaev will join us on the TSN MMA show, interview edition. Marlon Moraes looks to get back in the win column, three straight losses for Magic Marlon Moraes, looking to show that he still has that magic when he takes on Song Yadong. That will be a very interesting one as well, that uh, I'm very much looking forward to watching. And we've got Javid Basharat, who will be joining us as well. He is one of the top prospects in the UFC right now, undefeated, every single win coming inside the distance. It doesn't get much better than that. And we'll also be joined by Khalil Roundtree. What an interesting individual to speak with. He's very much into music and the arts and things of that nature. So it was fun picking his brain, talking about his upcoming fight with Carl Robertson this weekend as well. That should be a very fun fight in the light heavyweight division. So let's get to it. We'll start off with the one who's making her return to the PFL, Smart Cage, for the next season and beyond. It is Kayla Harrison. And she joins us now on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. I'm now joined by the captain of American Top Team and a two-time PFL tournament winner, Kayla Harrison, who is now back with the PFL. The PFL has been make, making a big deal, obviously, about bringing you back into the fold. Uh, they had the ability to match any contract that was thrown at you. So, you know, a lot of people are saying, Kayla Harrison, no, she's not. She's avoiding fighting the big fights. Uh, explain to people what matching rights means. Sure. So, basically, I, I was what you, would, what you would call in other sports, like a restricted free agent. Um, I had the right to go out and look for other options. I had the right to field options from other promotions. Um, find something that I was happy with, happy taking and accepting. But then as part of my contract, you know, I would, sh- would then present it to the PFL and they had the last right to either match that contract or say, okay, we, we can't match that, you know, best of luck. And I found a contract that I was super happy with. I sent it to the PFL and, and they stepped up in a big way and, and matched that contract. So that's, here we are. And how much time did you have to wait to find out if they were going to match the contract? Uh, that was very short. <laughs> that was like, that was the shortest part of the whole process. 
it's very it's it's funny a lot of the things that go on behind the scenes that people may not understand the there's really all kinds of moving parts and um but that was definitely the shortest part i, I we sent the sent the contract over and I, my manager sent it over and i think very quickly we got a we got a response saying that they were going to exercise their right to match now, I know in the past, I think Eddie Alvarez, when he signed with the UFC from, uh, from Bellator, they had the right to match, but there were like certain things in the contract that the UFC had put in there that made it difficult for Bellator to match. Was there mm-hmm. any sort of mm-hmm. you know, chess pieces on the board in that regard where, uh, I guess, Bellator is the, the company they matched, where they tried to make it difficult for the PFL to be able to match it? That's a great question. I think that... I don't want to answer that just because legally I don't I'm not entirely sure I have a lawyer for a reason you know he reads these contracts he checks everything out he makes sure that everything is by the book and, and checks it all out so I don't know if the goal was to, to have I'm not sure I think that PFL I'm not entirely sure how they had to match if it was monetarily if it was specifics i don't i don't have the answer for that well either way you have now been i guess your your manager i spoke to him yesterday he says you're the highest paid female mixed martial artist of all time um i don't know what other mixed martial artists have made in the past but do you believe that the terms of this contract would put you in that stratosphere i do think so yes well that's good good news for you and i think one thing that while we talk about this whole legalese of matching and all that one advantage of being with the PFL is you were their tournament champion, and that doesn't lock you into a, a contract extension. A lot of these other promotions have these contracts that lock you into um, an extension, which gave you higher earning potential by being able to uh, explore free agency. Yeah, no, I, I was lucky in that sense. And um, again, with the not to go into the specifics of this contract, but it is very favor- favorable to me. You know, I, I'm I'm going to be able to to go in, to do what I love, to, to fight for the PFL, to, to fight for another title and fight in the season, and then hopefully continue to build my legacy with the PFL, fighting big names, whether it's cross-promotion, co-promotion, whether it's bringing in fighters, however it may be. And I'm going to have freedom after that. You know, I, I think that it, it, a, a big part of one big part of my role as an MMA fighter, besides taking care of myself, is I think about the future athletes and um, the way contracts are written now or have been written in the past and how they may not be fighter friendly. And one thing that was very important to me is that, you know, listen, the, the game is changing, the game is evolving. Not only do I think, not only do I think I want to go out and test my value and, and see what I'm worth and raise the bar for women fighters for 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 every fighter to 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 go out and test their worth and find out what they're what they're worth and make money that is you know we get in in a cage and get punched in the head and like put our lives and bodies on the line all the time i think that i think that we should be paid more not only is it my job to go out there and do that and promote that but i think also the contract side of it you know i'm very happy with this contract because it takes care of me it's guaranteed money, which is just, which is new historically. And it also, you know, there's not as many strings. There's not as much red tape. There's not as much, it's much more fighter friendly. And I think that that's a, that's a good thing. 
Now, you're always honest with me, but I, I'm curious about something. There was a video of you cage side for Amanda Nunes' fight um, against Juliana Pena. And I'm sure you had had a couple drinks that night or whatever, but regardless of which, it seemed like you were frustrated with the outcome of that fight. Now, how much, what percentage of, the, of that was being upset that your teammate lost? And what percentage of that was like, oh, she kind of fumbled the bag. We could have had something big here uh, that, that could have been a, a massive thing for the UFC and, and for yourself. No, it was 100%, you know, I felt sorry for Amanda. Not sorry, but I, I think, number one, I was in shock. Number two, I could really sympathize with that situation. You know, I, I never in MMA, but I have lost on the biggest stage in, in judo. You know, I have, I have, I only have one world championship gold medal. I've, I've, I've lost many times and for me going out and daring to be great and, and um, putting your, putting your, goals on the line and testing yourself in front of the whole world who's watching and being at the highest level of the sport and being this, this, um, you know, she's, she's the greatest and she's continuously going out there and putting that on the line, you know? So for me to see that and to see her lose, it was, I felt, I felt for her, you know, because it's a, it's, it can happen to anyone. This is, this is a crazy sport. This is a crazy game. I felt for her, um, and that was that was really what the me screaming was about. <laughs> I appreciate you censoring yourself for our interview, but uh, it's also a very yeah. fickle sport. And, and the reason why I say that is because, like, a week before that fight, everybody was talking about Amanda Nunes, like she was the undisputed goat of women's MMA, yeah. would probably never lose ever again. Would, you know, that's not how the sport works. And the biggest example for me, I've always talked about this one, is. When Cormier won that second belt, when he won the heavyweight belt from Stipe the first time, he was, I think, 40, mm -hmm. 40 years old, almost 40 years old at the time. If he would have walked mm -hmm. away, people mm -hmm. would be talking about him now like he was a top four, top five guy in the history of the sport. I don't think people argue that mm -hmm. now with Daniel Cormier, but like, it's, it's just like the timing of how things happen. Yeah. And how, like, you talk about legacy often. It's incredible how fragile legacy is. It really is. I think about that all the time. I think about... You know, to be frank with you, I, like I look at Rhonda and there was a time when people thought Rhonda would beat men in the UFC, you know, and I look at perfect, perfect woman, perfect spot, perfect timing and how it just like totally became this thing. And I'm grateful for it because if it weren't for her, women's MMA wouldn't be where it is today. But timing, man, is everything in in this sport for sure. Well, Ronda had the Mike Tyson appeal. Like she, you just were like, how quickly is she going to finish this fight? So when she lost, right. I just think it was so unbelievable to people. And I think a lot of it also was just her not cooperating with the media afterwards. Like people can create narratives based on that, but I, I don't think people will remember unless you were there at the time and you were watching Ronda's ascent, how special it was. Right. right. No, it was crazy. And I mean... Like I live with the girl, you know, and I'm watching this unfold and I'm watching like she's everywhere. Everyone's talking about her. She's like in Beyonce's music videos. And, you know, these are things that we talked about. I couldn't believe it. Like I couldn't believe she willed that that stuff into existence. And it was it was crazy to watch her ascent into superstardom. It was uh, wild.
Is that something that you want for yourself? I mean, I'm sure that the the fame is probably that's a double-edged sword, but is that something that you would like for Kayla Harrison in the future? Is that you're on magazine covers everywhere? You're you've got a massive platform. You're in music videos. Like, does that stuff matter to you? I think that you you said a key word there, and that's platform. You know, I, I think that for me. I want to be a, a household name, but I want to be a household name for different reasons, not for the sake of being a household name, but for the sake of what are they going to talk about when they talk about Kayla Harrison? What are they going to talk about perseverance? Are they going to talk about, you know, overcoming obstacles? Are they going to talk about um, being a survivor, a thriver, an activist? Uh, you know, I want to, the reason I want to be a household name is because I want to inspire the next generation and I want to help change the world. And are I'm worried, man. I'm worried about our society. I'm worried about my kids growing up in a world like this. You know, I don't want, I don't want my daughter to grow up in a world like this. And it starts at home. It starts with how I carry myself at home, but you know, I, I don't, I just, I want to be a light. I want to, I don't want it to, I don't want the world to be what it is. I really don't. Well, I, I have to follow up on that. I mean, it's it's going to be a very open-ended question. What's wrong with the world in your eyes right now that you, if you could change something about it that would prevent your daughter from growing up in whatever it is that you're talking about, what, what would that be? You know, we just... Somewhere along the way... I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer this properly. Somewhere along the way, we became a, we as human beings stopped being human and stopped being real and stopped like being true. I think like I, there's so many ways for me to answer this question. It's so hard to, to pin like, I want my daughter to grow up knowing that it's okay. It's okay to be, it's okay to not be perfect. It's okay to try and, and strive and have goals. And it's okay to, for not, not everyone to like you. It's okay uh, to have a bad day. It's okay to um, stand in your truth. This is what I want her to know. I want her to know that it's okay when you stand in your truth, no matter what the cost, everybody benefits. And do you think that a lot of that, I'm a parent of three myself, so I mean, I, I kind of see what you're saying, but do you think that a lot of it is social media is just trying to put on this image yes. and that facade yes. that isn't what you are? Yes. Yes. I think that technology has done so many amazing things for us as humans, but it's also like, we live in a world where you can be instantly instantly connected to everyone everywhere any anytime and yet we have never been more disconnected as human beings like we have never been more there's never like maybe not never but we are so divided we are so disconnected there are kids there are kids who can't look you in the eye because like they don't they don't ha know how to have social interaction like they don't know how to to interact with humans because they're always interacting with technology and i'm not like one of these technology is bad destroy like i'm just saying we got to get back to being human so whatever my legacy is i hope that people look at me say 
damn, she was able to dare great, be vulnerable, live out loud, and stay true to herself through it all. Well, I think that's one of the things that we appreciate about you, in, at least in this space, is that you don't pull any punches, you're honest about everything, and you're not afraid to be vulnerable. I think a lot of this sport as a whole, MMA, lacks vulnerability because the, the thing, crazy mm. thing about it is the sport in itself is vulnerability because you're going out there on mm. a big platform and, and daring to be great like mm. you said but i think mm. that the athletes themselves close themselves up a little bit when it comes yeah. to being vulnerable as people no for sure like Brene brown who's one of my like i like she's a spiritual gangster the very act of being vulnerable is to be strong like that's if you have the strength, you can be vulnerable. So it's a courageous act to go out here and to be real and to be true and to say what you think and to, to be honest and open. And, and that's, you're right. Like I, I do feel like our sports, I feel like our society in general lacks that though. You know, like it's not, it is a problem in our sport, but it's a problem in the world. Like yeah. Yeah. So if you're given that platform, though, how do you, you know, how do you correct that? Not really correct that, but how do you inspire people to be more human, so to speak? I think I just have to keep leading by example. You know, I think that my action, no matter what anyone does, your actions always speak louder than your words. And it's not... Um, I don't have a specific game plan or, or anything about how to how to teach people to be more human. I think that I just have to lead by example. You know, I have to, to continue to live my life the way I think is right and not be afraid to speak. Again, I have to stand in my truth no matter what the cost. If it costs me friends, if it costs me money, if it costs me fame, if it costs me whatever, like I have to I have to be strong enough to stand to stand there and say this is this is who I am this is what Kayla Harrison believes this is how Kayla Harrison is going to be and that will be my legacy because I do believe I do believe that people are seeking that I do think that everything is so shallow and superficial and on the surface and like instant 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 like everything's getting faster and easier like I do think that people yearn for a deeper connection and deeper meaning. And like, you know, these are things that people think about at night. They don't think about like, oh man, like whatever, who's going to win this or that. Like they think about what is the meaning of life? What like, am I, who, you know, I don't want to die alone. What are people's greatest fears? You know, they're, they're deeper than what we talk about like on social media. They're much, much deeper. And I think that by staying true to me and staying firm in that, people will be drawn to me. People will, will, it'll happen. People will, will want to follow my example, I think, I hope. And if not, that's okay too. Well, you talked about how you wanted to, to fight the best people in the world, the best um, fighters, the best competition. But you have a platform with ESPN. You've got the financial resources, of course, with this deal, and I'm sure your, your previous deals as well. So, so why does beating somebody that people believe to be on your level or, or above your level matter that much to you if, if you can still probably do the things that you're talking about now to an extent without that? 
I think that that's an internal desire. You know, I think that that's a, a, I think that's a very personal thing. It's not really, um, that's not really for the platform. That's not really, this is because I want to test myself because I have an internal desire that I've had since as long as I can remember that I want to be the best possible version of myself. And I know that the only way to do that is to go out there and, and, and test myself against the best. Like I didn't skip the Olympics because I thought I was, because I was ranked number one, you know, like I didn't say, all right, well, I already know I'm number one. So I don't need to go to the Olympics. Like I had to test it. I had to go out there and find out for myself that I could win the Olympics. That was for me. That wasn't for, that was for me because I want to know. And again, this is all going back to being real, like being true to myself. I'm not being true to myself if I just sit on the couch and, and say like, oh, and say I'm the best and, and I'm this and I'm that. Like, no, I'm going to show you. I'm going to, I'm going to, my actions are going to speak louder than my words. But it isn't so much about that, about control, right? Like it's not in your control to be able to sort these things out, right? The field is so small in your weight class, whether it's 55 or 45. We're talking about three, four people in the whole world and people already put you in that stratosphere. So that must make it, that must be the hardest thing for you. It's just like the lack of control to make external forces come together to make these things happen. But isn't it better to just control what you can control and not worry about that? Absolutely. You're, you, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like it's not my job to make these fights. It's not Chris's job to make these fights. It's not Amanda's like, we're all in different organizations. There's no super like all-star where you just bring the best together and, and they, this isn't, this has never been done. It hasn't, it hasn't ever happened in the sport of MMA. And it is frustrating at times for me and seems kind of like, you're right. Like, why can't I just like, who cares? Like, it is what it is. It's not my job. It's not, I can't control it. So I just need to focus on what I can control. And I do that. I sit back and I, and I like, I'm not overlooking any of these girls this year. I'm not looking past them. I'm not, I'm training hard. I've been training hard my whole life. Like that doesn't stop for me, but I also do want to change the sport. Like, and I do, I have to do everything in my power to try and make that happen because if I don't, I'll have to live with the what ifs. I don't care what people think of me. I don't care if the fans say this or the media says that, or you think I'm the greatest or that I have to do everything in my power to t turn every stone, leave no stone unturned and make sure that I fought the best of the best and really like gave my all. I, I have to, I have to, I have to do that. I don't have, like, that's not a, it's not even an option for me. Like, it's not, I would never, couldn't, yes, I have to surrender and understand that what's meant to be will be, but I also got to work. Like, it's, what is that saying? Like, how does it, how does it go? Like, some, someone said something to me the other day, they're like, you know, God will help you move that mountain, but you still got to bring a shovel.
Yeah, it's the, the pounding the rock is what uh, I guess the Toronto Raptors motto was. Like every day you're coming in, you're pounding the rock with like a chisel and eventually like the rock mm-hmm. is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And that's that's the goal is like every day you're just trying to make the rock smaller. So kind of along mm-hmm. those same lines. Yeah. At the same time, you, you look at what the PFL is doing. You've got this new um, super fight division that they're putting together with, with pay-per-views. They brought in Julia Budd. It seems like they're doing everything that they can. But again, like I, I just... I look at the UFC's division at 145 pounds. There's two, three, four fighters in that division that are natural, natural to that weight class. You're talking two, maybe three. Um, mm-hmm. You look at Strike Force. I mean, they're giving Cyborg is fighting somebody who she just beat a couple months ago again, and then they just said this past weekend or two weeks ago that her next contender is somebody that she also has just beaten. Right? Like it's we, we, we're talking mm-hmm. about such a small sample of, of athletes, but I think that the PFL at least are, are doing what they can in that regard. Um, what, what are your thoughts about this super fight division and this the the pay per view uh, potential for you as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited about it. You know, that was definitely that gave me hope. You know, I talked to Don Davis, I talked to him, and he is he has he wants to make these fights happen just as badly as I do. You know, I think that he knows that if the PFL can can cross promote or co promote or bring in stars from other organizations, from these big leagues, and um, and I beat them, not only does it legitimize me, but it legitimizes the PFL. You know, like that, they believe in me, I believe in me, and, and they, wanna, they wanna make it happen. And I think that, I'm hopeful that it, it will, I am. I'm hopeful and I'm excited about this. I spoke to your manager Ali yesterday, and he was saying that he thought there was that 100% a fight between you and Cyborg could happen by the end of this year, and that Cyborg is the only thing that's standing in the way of that. Do you believe that to be true? Because she is under contract, and um, while I think that a co-promotion between the PFL and Bellator would be a lot of fun to watch, um, it does seem like there's probably a bigger barrier of entry than maybe he's leading on. I don't know. You know, I, I haven't... I know that I want to make the fight happen. I know that the PFL wants to make the fight happen. I believe that we can make it happen. I haven't talked to, obviously, I, I haven't talked to Chris. I don't know exactly where she stands. I believe she also wants to make the fight happen. So it's just a matter of us all coming together and, and working together to to put it on. And I think it's possible. I know she also only has two fights left on her contract. So who knows which way the wind will blow and what's going to happen. But on my side... Like you said, one thing is I can only control me and I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I, I know that when the opportunity arises and, and my moment comes, I'm going to capitalize on it. You mentioned earlier in the interview that um, your new contract allows you to just to not be restricted anymore. You talked about res- the equivalent of restricted free agency. So when, when does that end? I don't want to look too far into the future here because I mean, you, you haven't even started your, your new PFL contract. But when, uh, when does that uh, end? <laughs> Um, I'm not, I'm not going to get into contract yeah. specifics. They said multi-year. I mean, that's what the press release said. So if this is a multi-year contract. I'm going to fight in the PFL season and then I'm going to do, um, fights for the super, super fight league. So it does have a period of time on it. I'm excited to to fight in the season and then look to help the PFL promote and create a, a big fight for me. How do you think Larissa Pacheco would do against Cyborg? Like what's her level? She's still so young and getting better and better. 
Yeah, man, I think people over overlook her um, just because she, you know, she is young. Her time in the UFC was a little too early, I think, but she's a very well-rounded fighter. She's a game opponent. She hits hard. Um, she's a big girl, you know, she's physical, she's strong. I think it would be a lot closer than, than people think. I think, I don't think Cyborg puts her away. I, I don't know who wins. Larissa's got youth on her side. So maybe, I don't know. It'd be, it'd be a close fight. Is that one of the issues though? That people aren't giving your opponents in the PFL enough credit? I mean, I think so. I, I think there's just this big, huge mystique about all about, you know, because the PFL is so young. Um, oh, you're not fighting the top competition in the UFC. And like, go look at the UFC's 145 roster. Who has, who, ha, like most of these girls don't have, they have similar records to the girls that I'm competing against now. You know, it's not like there's like these studs in waiting over there, like, ready to pounce. And I think the PFL also is doing a good job of trying to build talent. You know, they started this challenger series. They're working with the, um, the, uh, I am, I, I am MAF, like the, like the amateur programs. They're like, they're trying to build, have developmental contracts. They're trying to build these divisions and, and build their own stars. Like you go look at Bellator's roster like are, is there tell me who's over there besides cyborg is a killer and is gonna is gonna beat me up like who 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 so when people say like oh the talent the level of fighters i mean i just think i think that's just a that's a are they on my level i don't think so but that's not their fault like not many women are there's only there's only a handful of us you know it's not their fault they're doing their I'm not going to take anything away from my opponents because they show up, they train hard, they give it their all, they do their best. That's all anyone can ask of them. I have nothing but respect for them. You got to go easy on them. You got to let, let them get a, a few good shots in so people think that they're much better. That's Absolutely not. <laughs> Kayla, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, as always, for doing this. Uh, congratulations on the yeah. new deal. And uh, look Thank forward you. to the tournament this year. I think that there's uh, a lot of good fights. I'm, I'm excited to see how much better Larissa has gotten. I think that at her young age, uh, she's gonna she's gonna be the one that I think people need to keep an eye on in that division. Is that is that the one that you think that as well as the is your stiffest competition in the yeah. PFL? Yes, I think that she. Yeah, I think that um, she, absolutely she's the future of the league, and um, I, I fully expect to see her in the finals again. You know, I don't I don't see anyone beating her. All right, Kayla, Besides. always appreciate it, and uh, we'll catch up again soon. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. I'm pleased to be joined now by Peter Murray, the CEO of the PFL. A lot of initials there, but a big week for the PFL. Kayla Harrison is back in the fold. A super uh, super fight division for pay-per-view is being launched. Is this the most exciting week that the PFL's had? Uh, you know, out, out of season, I guess, so to speak? Oh, a pivotal moment, Aaron. Great to be here. Yeah, I mean... This is a pivotal moment for uh, the league. Uh, you know, Kayla is a um, unique uh, athlete, and she continues to blaze new trails for herself and, and in the sport. Uh, we're proud of what she's accomplished. And in, in, candidly, under the PFL banner, you know, she went pro uh, MMA, you know, as a two-time Olympic uh, gold medalist in judo uh, in the U.S., and 
you know, really our team under Ray Cepho, our president of fighter operations, ushered Kayla into the sport. Uh, and now, you know, she's undefeated, 12-0, two-time PFL champion. And uh, she's poised to, you know, take on that next mountain and is so passionate about it. And, you know, it's uh, no question she's the most dominant fighter in all of MMA. And she certainly has proven that with her fights. You know, I spoke to her this week, and she is really excited about the prospect of fighting the best of the best in her division. Now, the problem is the 145 and 155-pound women's divisions are not loaded with talent. It's hard to find the best of the best in these divisions. So how much pressure is there on you to, A, either add more talent in those divisions to the PFL, and B, build up talent as much as possible uh, within your confines? Well, we do that year over year across the board, you know, beyond the women's division. And you, you see uh, every season the, the, the caliber of uh, fighter talent continues to elevate, you know, from homegrown talent like Ray Cooper. You know, Ray, you know, he's uh, you know, certainly uh, in the top ranked in uh, welter rate around the world. And uh, I'd put Ray up against uh, anybody, you know, in the sport. And so when you think about our focus as a league, year over year, we'll continue to elevate our roster. And that is a curated roster. Half the athletes from outside the U.S., we have 25 countries represented on the roster. Um, and uh, 40% of that roster our, our athletes are ranked in the top 25 in the world. That's a key KPI. And, and you know, a combination of homegrown talent as well as bringing over, you know, athletes from other top organizations who are top ranked and give, uh, give fans the opportunity to discover new talent. And we have a performance model. You know, we retain the top performers, the, the athletes who, who win in advance, and can prove they can compete on a stage as large as this and get into the postseason and be exciting and uh, have something to prove. Uh, you know, those are the athletes that we retain. And then year over year, uh, we'll, you know, what I would say is, you know, make adjustments and refresh the roster with a minimum of 40% of the, the talent will be new, taking on those proven performers. And, you know, that keeps the product fresh year over year. And we continue to elevate the roster, but bringing it back to Kayla and the women's division this year, I mean, Ray Cepho has, has assembled an incredible roster. We haven't made all the announcements of, uh, you know, the fighters who will be in the women's 155 division. But as you know, Julia Budd, former champion at a, at a Bellator from up in Canada, um, she's joined the, the league last year. Uh, she had a fight, one fight with us uh, uh, last year, and uh, she, she you know, performed well. And I know she's ready to sort of take on this format in the competition. And we have other fighters coming into the mix that, you know, it's no walk in the park for any athlete, including Kayla. Um, you know, for, for, uh, to get to the championship and win, four fights in seven months. Uh, that is, this is the most grueling competition in all of MMA. Not only do you have top top fighters competing, uh, but you have to do it, you know, in a format within seven months and, and four fights to, to win in advance and get through. It's not easy. Yeah, it's a very, very tough tournament because, I mean, an injury can derail you from 
competing. You have to be very, uh, you have to budget your energy. You have to be careful with the kind of risk that you want to take because an injury will derail you from, from a tournament that could land you a million dollars. But at the same time, when you look at this roster across the board, and I think this is kind of a, an issue within MMA, is I think that a lot of the champions of the PFL could hang with champions of, of the other promotions. But it's impossible to put those fights together. Do you think that we're ever going to see that change in MMA? I wouldn't say it's impossible. Well, it's it, when they're under different umbrellas, it's very difficult. I mean, co-promotion, I know Bellator has been open to it, but I don't think we'll ever see a day where the UFC is co-promoting with uh, the PFL or, or Bellator, all due respect. I mean, you know, I don't think it's impossible. We're an advocate of those type of cross-promotions and, and fights. Um, in the end, you know, I, I, I think you got to give fans what they want. And, 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 you know, fighters, you know, want to compete within an organization and have maybe not all, but, you know, exceptional fighters, you know, the opportunity to sort of compete representing, you know, an organization like the PFL and competing against another champion. That's a big super fight. And we love that. And, you know, our vision for our uh, uh, pay-per-view division, which we announced earlier this week, will be built uh, on that. I mean, we'll have, you know, major talent come over and put together, you know, amazing super fight cards, you know, from within MMA crossover, you know, fighters, and perhaps even, you know, as part of the model, you know, cross promotional fights. And, uh, you know, getting back to Kayla and Cyborg, both Kayla has put it out there that she wants that fight cyborg has put it out there that she wants that fight so uh i'm committed to doing the work to make that happen and uh you know i believe bellator uh is open to it uh, we're looking forward to those conversations in earnest and uh you know more to come yeah the super in the end in the end we're pretty confident in our brand and our platform and our fighters and so you know why not put on a mega fight and uh and and both organizations will benefit both you know fighters will benefit and most of all fans of mma will benefit so we're down with it yeah, the super fight division is very intriguing to me because i look at the cards that you've put on i look at the especially with your world championship last year these are big big fights when you get the two finalists to these divisions how much bigger can you make it in order to, I mean, you guys are going to have to really think outside the box to put on fights that A, the fans haven't seen before, and B, uh, you know, things that fans, I guess, are hungry for that they, I'm sure that there's a pitch for a lot of the fighters from outside the promotion to come in and be part of the super fight division, but how much creativity and th- outside the box thinking is going to have to go into making fresh matchups that people haven't yet seen in the PFL? Well, I mean, it's a great question. I think first, first start with, yeah, you know, fighters. Okay. So we have fighters from our, our six, you know, weight divisions, a small subset of those fighters, you know, including Kayla, we believe, uh, you know, have, have what it takes to compete on that type of stage. Uh, and there are others. So, you know, in, in terms of talent, and now we have the ability beyond those weight classes uh, to bring over, uh, you know, talent, uh, you know, to, to fight under the PFL banner and philosophy. We're a fighter's first organization. And what I can tell you, top 10 ranked fighters around the world are looking for an alternative. And, and you know, what we provide at the PFL is, number one, 
top talent, and that'll continue to ratchet up in, in, in terms of caliber. You know, two, global stage. Uh, you know, we're, we're distributed on premium uh, sports uh, platforms, including ESPN, including TSN, including, you know, major, major media platforms outside the U.S. with distribution to 160 countries. Uh, you know, UFC, that you know, we're, we're, we're on par with their distribution. And, and candidly, you know, we've surpassed Bellator as the number two uh, organization in the world on every metric, including distribution. Um, and then, you know, outside of that, you, you know, we provide, you know, fighters the ability to make more money. And, and you, you know, they're looking for all three of those things in terms of top talent to compete against, global stage, and the opportunity to earn more money. And, and you know, our approach, even with athletes, the PFL, we live partnership. We're creating this great league and reimagining and growing the sport through partnering first, first with the athletes, uh, and then our business partners in the media space, in, in the sponsorship space, and and otherwise. So we're looking forward to partnering with athletes in this super fight pay per view division, where candidly uh, they can earn more more money and have more participation. Uh, than uh, anyone uh, to date has, has provided. All right, so give me the pitch. I'm Fighter X. I've, I just became a free agent and a household name. People want to see me compete at the highest level. Why should I join the PFL? You know, tell me why I should be part of the, uh, the Super Fight division. And what's in it for me? You're, you're making a pay-per-view. You guys are making the money off of it. What, what do I get out of this deal? Well, as what I just said here, you know, fighters will actually you know, make a larger percentage uh, of buys, you know, in our model than than has ever been executed in the past. So it's called skin in the game. And how much skin will the fighters have in the game? I, I, a lot of people talk about revenue sharing and compare it to the major sports leagues. I, I see it a little bit differently because a lot of people think of the UFC as a sports league. I think of them as a combat sports promotion. I don't think that they have to operate in the same confines as a sports league, uh, but the PFL has chosen to do so. So are we going to see similarities to how other big sports brands that you have experience working for, for larger uh, sports leagues in the past. Is that what we're expecting to see from the PFL? No, I mean, I mean, Hey, listen, we're sort of, we, well, we're a league, you know, we're, we're, we're focused on, you know, glow, growing our global IP around the world, expanding the content, you know, offerings in terms of live with different offerings from challenger series, our season uh, events, and now pay-per-view super fights. And, Listen, I, I could tell you we're in every major, um, every major, when, when a fighter goes into free agency, we're in every major conversation. And I'm just going to let you know, it's, it's they're looking for alternatives. And what I just said, like any athlete, any sport, three things they want, Aaron. Number one, if you, you know, if, if you are at the top of your game, it's all about the competition. You, you know, you want to compete against top talent. We have that. You, any athlete, any sport, including MMA, you want to compete on the largest possible stage. Check, we have that's global. And then three, you want a transparent, you know, opportunity or path to become champion. And I can tell you, no one else can provide that because at the PFL, it's called earn it. If you're good enough to get in, and you have the grit, and and you're willing to grind, and you have what it takes to be great and a champion. Once you get in, it's on, it's on the fighter. You earn it. 
and and then you know you can become champion and not be one of many who are stuck on a shelf somewhere you know that can't fight or waiting for the next fight or don't know when their next fight will be i don't know how anybody can manage a career professionally in any business or any athlete you know once you get in the pfl it's very clear very very clear and transparent you, fighters know who they're fighting they know when they're fighting and they know what they're fighting for and they have the ability to earn that title and, and, and championship. And, and so it is a huge differentiator and, and, a, and a big reason why athletes are coming over to the PFL. And when it comes to you know, the pay-per-view pay division, all of those principles or, or drivers apply you know, in terms of top competition and uh, in terms of the global stage and with respect to uh, you know, new title fights that we'll create as part of a pay-per-view division. And, uh, and again, broader participation for athletes uh, to earn. And uh, that's what we're excited about. All right, so something that you just said caught my attention. New divisions for the Superfight pay-per-views? Are you looking to have belts that, or titles that will only be contested on these particular events? Not necessarily, but we're, we're talking about a lot of different things. We'll be rolling out those details. It's not until 2023, right? So there's, there's a lot of time, I guess, before we're going to find out the nitty-gritty behind this division? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're putting those details uh, in place as we speak, and we'll be rolling it out, you know, as, uh, as, as time goes on, as we prepare, you know, for, for next year. And so, you know, more to come. Looking forward to sharing the details. I spoke to Kayla Harrison's uh, manager, Ali Abdelaziz, earlier this week. He said that she is the highest-paid female mixed martial artist of all time. Now, I know Ronda Rousey made $3 million in her final fight with the UFC. That's just one fight, of course, but also got pay-per-view points in all likelihood. Do you believe that that is true, that Kayla Harrison is now the highest paid women's mixed martial artist ever? Yeah, I'm not going to speak to any financials in any fighter's deal. Okay. So, I mean, you couldn't tell me if that's, if that's a claim that could be true? I mean, you don't need to give me numbers, but do you believe that it is in that stratosphere? Uh, she is absolutely the, the highest paid uh, 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 women's uh, fighter in the sport today, for sure. And in terms of the divisions in the PFL, are you guys thinking of opening any new divisions? I know there was a 185 division for the first season, but uh, that was taken away, I guess, whittled away at some point. Are you guys looking to open new divisions? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure you mean whittled away. We were never in the women's 185. No, 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 no. Sorry, men's 185, men's middleweight. Okay, got it, got it. Uh, Nobody's in the women's 185 business. They wouldn't have much of a roster. No, I understand. <laughs> I, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't understand your question. I thought you were referring to women's so number one. And then with respect to other weight classes, uh, you know, we, we like, you know, for 2022 season, we're going with five men's and and the women's 155 and you'll see us um, open up, you know, other divisions uh, in particular uh, uh, in the pay-per-view space. Uh, so right now, you know, we're, we're staying with uh, those weight classes, but in pay-per-view we'll open up to different weight classes. And Kayla may, in fact, you know, fight um, in pay-per-view in a different weight class other than 155. Who would you say are the big splash signings for the PFL for the upcoming season that uh, we were expecting to see in the tournament? I know we had Anthony Pettis last year was one of them. Yeah, no, we haven't announced them yet. So, uh, you know, Ray Seppo <laughs> is in the process of, you know, making those final uh, decisions. And we're going to roll that out uh, in two weeks' time. But some of them are signed. You just can't say who they are at this point? 
Absolutely. Yeah. No, the roster's looking great. You know, there's there's a few holes and, and the team is making sure the final selections are the right ones for each weight class. Uh, but I believe they're they're in a great place. In two weeks time, we'll roll out those details. You're getting a boost from the Challenger Series that you guys have put together where the winner will get a, a berth into the tournament. How has that been in terms of uh, viewership, in terms of um, how it's been received by the fighters? And I know that one of the complaints that I keep hearing is that it's been hard for people to find. What, what kind of tips can you give people if they're looking to watch the uh, Challenger Series? Well, it's on Fubo TV in the U.S. And then, uh, and you know, with respect to outside the U.S., uh, we're distributed on premium sports outlets and that, that information is available on uh, pflmma.com. Uh, we're, we're really excited about the partnership with Fubo TV. Uh, it's a premium you know, uh, entertainment, media, and sports platform. They have a growing portfolio. Uh, every Friday night, you know, over, over the course of eight weeks, uh, we have the Challenger Series events. And this is really American Idol meets MMA, and it's a talent development platform for the PFL. But it's also, you know, amazing, amazing fights. You know, there's a lot on the line for for these fighters. And uh, each week there's a big payout where a fighter earns a contract, whether that's a development deal or whether that's, uh, you know, punching their ticket to the upcoming 2022 season. So uh, we have three events under our belt. We have the next uh, event tomorrow. And I know Ray and the team are really happy so far with the quality uh, of fights and, uh and some fighters so you know more to come and the ultimate measurement will be in my view is there a champion in the midst at you know coming out of this franchise the challenger series uh you know a seasoned champion and that could happen in 2022 it could happen in 2023 or 24 but to me that's the ultimate metric Absolutely. And uh, I saw Don Davis do an interview with Drake Riggs. He was talking about some of the innovations in betting that you guys have coming up. You're going to be able to bet on the speed in which someone throws a strike over unders, things of that nature. Give me some more details on that because I find that fascinating. Yeah, I mean, hey, I mean, at the end of the day, there's explosive growth in, in betting and gamification of sports. And, you know, our view is beyond just the under and over and who wins uh, the fight, you know, there's, there's, there's action, you know, within the prop betting space and tied to fighter data and, and, and fight analytics. And with our smart case proprietary technology, yeah, we, we measure strike speed, every fighter, every fight. So now who had the, who had the fastest strike of the night of the fight of the round? Those are new prop bets. Same thing with kick speed. We rolled that out successfully last year. It's never been done in, in, the, in combat sports, doesn't include a wearable. And all of that data is, is tried and true and has integrity and, and now will create opportunities for new prop bets. So we're excited about that. Well, it sounds like there's a lot of innovations. I, I see that the PFL is very ahead of the curve in terms of what you, you guys are putting on TV. We just, like you said, we haven't seen it really in the space before in terms of these sort of metrics. And another thing that often comes up is the the I don't I I can't recall what it's called, but where where they determine who won the round based on analytics. Uh, what well, went into that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So the NFL has a QBR rating system, and we created uh, for the first time in MMA the FPR Fighter Performance Rating. And uh, there's technology, uh, you know, built behind it where um, you know 
when any fans watching a fight, no, no one wants to see it go to the judges and a decision, right? You want to see finishes. And we have a high finishing rate, you know, the PFL, because every fight counts and we award extra points for finishing. Mm. So PFL regular season fights, our, our finishing rate is well over 50% higher than any other promotion because uh, they're not fighters don't want to don't want to keep it to uh, the judges. They want to score those points. And so uh, what we did is we created a technology that really measures throughout throughout a fight who won the fight. And so and it's it's very technical. Um, it's very accurate. And so we have an experience at the end of a fight when it goes into a decision. We have our broadcast team weigh in and then. We, we have the PFL computer, you know, our FPR system give us, you know, their their data and who they believe won the fight. And then, by the way, we also ask fans because anybody watching at home or at the fight, first thing you say is this person sitting next to you, who do you think won? And so we open up that conversation and we provide expert analysis opinion on it. We provide technology you know, through, you know, very, very accurate computer FPR data um, and, and who, you know, uh, FPR believes won the fight. And then we bring fans in and then builds anticipation for the decision. And uh, I think half the times the judges get it right. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if they improve over time. But, you know, I think that just provides yeah, more context, more anticipation, more more conversation. And uh, I, I think that's the kind of product and experience younger fans today expect. Final question from me, and I really appreciate all the time you've given me here to talk about the upcoming PFL season. Your television contract ended at the end of last season. How big of a priority was it to get back on ESPN? Obviously, one of the best sports platforms in the world that you could be on. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a key priority, and uh, you know, as a result of a successful initial relationship, in particular. Our uh, 2021 season, our ratings were up 100% in the regular season, the playoffs. You know, we, we over-delivered as it relates to the product, the experience for fans, uh, and then and, and obviously the quality of the fighters and the fights. And, you know, you, you saw it in the audience growth. And so uh, we, we couldn't be happier to continue our relationship with ESPN. Um, they are committed to growing the sport. They're the de- they are the destination of MMA and the PFL plays a role alongside USC to, to grow the sport. And it's the same fan. You know, we're not asking the fans to choose UFC or, or PFL over the UFC. We're providing fans on another night of the week a, a, a complimentary or differentiated experience. Um, and that's what they want. This is an underserved fan base. 600 million fans around the world. Who, who are demanding access to more quality content and fights, and, and we help fulfill that. Well, as someone who loves to watch the fights as well as cover them, I love having something in the middle of the week. I think it's a great palate cleanser to, to get all of, your, all of the different days in there where you're going to have uh, different fights, whether it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I, I think it's all great. Right. I mean, who said a fight just has to be on Saturday night or Friday night, whether it's Wednesday, whether it's Thursday. It, it's, you know, at the end of the day, when you think about basketball okay nba and 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 us ncaa product 6000 plus basketball games compare that to global okay uh, mma events less than 100 
including UFC and, and, and PFL, and I'll include Bellator in the mix. And so there's so much more, there's such a, you know, uh, a, a much larger appetite that fans have to access live fights uh, throughout any given week, month, quarter, and, and, and over the course of a year. So, you know, again, that's what excites us about programming the PFL and, and supplying that, that content. Well, the quality is as good as it gets with the PFL. Looking forward to this upcoming season. Uh, thanks a lot for joining me, Peter. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon. You got it, Aaron. Great to see you. Thank you. He's one of the top light heavyweights in the world today. Magomed Ankalaev is in the main event against Thiago Santos. A win this weekend, Magomed. Do you believe that that will equate to a title shot for you? После мы уже будем думать. Я думаю, если пройдет успешно, мне гарантирует бой, по-моему, за титул. To be honest, in my humble opinion, I believe uh, if if I'll uh, I will beat uh, Thiago, I believe I deserve the title shot next. But it's completely up to the UFC, uh, to the UFC bosses, what they will decide. And uh, I don't want to look past Thiago because he's a very uh, tough opponent, very experienced opponent. And so far, he's the biggest fight of my career, and I'm focused for it. But as I said, in my humble opinion, I deserve title shot uh, after the uh, victory over uh, Thiago Santos. I look back at your amateur career uh, in Russia. You fought some big names: uh, Vadim, Mal- uh, Vadim Nemkov, Valentin Moldovsky. Uh, a lot of fighters that have gone on to really big things. Do you believe that winning a Russian championship in MMA uh, at such a young age is the best thing that you can do to prepare for a professional mixed martial arts career? Is that the highest level of competition? No, в то время, когда мы дрались, там могли драться и профессионалы, поэтому там конкуренция была очень серьезная. Но я не думаю, что но она дала мне очень Samba, especially if you will become amateur uh, champion in Samba, it's not enough to to be, a, for example, a world champion in the UFC. You need to train, you need to evolve, you need to change a couple things. And as as for me, back in the days when I was an amateur, we could fight like uh, the guy who who used who who, who could be a professional fighter. They didn't separate us. I'm not sure what's going on these days. So back in the days, it was very good experience for to become a professional fighter. This past weekend, it was announced that Khabib Nurmagomedov is going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. I was wondering what you thought about that. Конечно, я рад очень, что он попал туда. Я думаю, он заслужил только на радости все. Of course, I'm very happy for him. Uh, he deserved it. He well deserved it. It's not like somebody gave it to him. So I'm very happy for him, I'm very proud of him, and it just motivates me to go even forward. You had one loss in the UFC, it was to Paul Craig, with one second left in the third round. That must be an incredible learning experience for you. What did you take away from that loss in, in your career? What does that mean to you when you think back on it? This <laughs> 
я нашел себя, я стал после этого более усердно работать, стал более уверенный. Почему? Потому что, но когда у тебя ноль в рекорде, ты всегда боишься проиграть. После того, как проиграл, уже ты не думаешь, проиграешь, выиграешь, и ты только идешь, идешь вперед. Поэтому, я думаю, это мне пошло на пользу. Как-то так. And uh, to be honest, I, I believe the, this loss gave me more than any victory, because as you can see, I changed a lot, as I'm working a lot, as I'm more focusing, I changed a couple of things in my camp, in my preparation, and as you can see, it was worth it, and uh, uh, I, I'm moving only forward now. Tiago Santos came very close to winning the light heavyweight championship against John Jones. He's your opponent this weekend. What are your thoughts on him as an opponent, and what do you think are his biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses? Ну, боец очень хороший, нету никакой недооценки, мы его максимум оцениваем хорошо. И мне нравится да, биться с, с лучшими, с сильными парнями. И сильный предоставляет с каждым разом более опасных, более мощных соперников. Я доволен, мне нравится это. The biggest fight so far in my career. I'm not looking past uh, Thiago. I'm focused completely on him, 100%. And uh, hard to say what's his weakness, what's his strengths. But obviously, all we know is that his strength is in his striking. But in the fight, we will see. I will, I will find out in the fight what's his strength and what his weakness. Right now, there's a conflict going on between Russia and the Ukraine. I know that uh, some athletes from Russia have been uh, not allowed to participate in particular sports. And I was curious what your thoughts were on that and on the conflict in general. Uh, let's keep it, keep it out of the politics, please. Okay, fair enough. No problem. Uh, best of luck to you this weekend, Magomed. Appreciate your time. It's the main event. Yourself versus Thiago Santos. You're one of the top rising light heavyweights in the world today. And uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you, Aaron. I really appreciate your time. And thank you so much. He is magic. Marlon Marais. She's taking on Song Yudong this weekend. A f fantastic up-and-coming fighter. Right now, I'm sure you've made some changes in your life since your most recent fighting is Marab Dwalashvili. Tell me a little bit about, what, about what's been going on in your life. Man, uh, we I, I went to to Thailand for this camp. You know, um, I just decided to go a little bit away and um, focus uh, strictly to the fight. You know, get this strictly a um, routine. You know, all, all about the fight. This is a very important fight for myself. We are taking it really serious. And hasn't been great, you know. I feel great, I feel ready, and I can't wait to fight. I heard you had a, kind of a dreadful experience entering Thailand. Uh, you had, I believe it was COVID, and you had to be quarantined for some time. Can you tell me about what happened there? Yeah, man, we, we had some problems uh, getting there. I, I tested positive. Uh, I, I got a couple of symptoms, and I fought through, you know. Uh, it was hard because the language, you know, staying in the hospital a couple of days. But it was only eight days, you know, and worth it, you know. And I saw why I was 
was there. I was there because I should keep 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 with my my mentality and what the goal I set to go out there. And every every day that I was there worth it a lot, and I feel great, and I feel like my preparation went great. Did you feel like maybe you had gotten too comfortable, and that's what uh, what the issue might have been? You know, you're, you're with your family a lot. You're, you're training uh, in Florida. It's nice. The weather's nice. You have a nice place to live. Whereas you, you go to Thailand and, and all of that kind of goes, goes away for a little bit. You get to focus strictly on, on training. Was that the key for you? Yeah, I believe it. It was one of my goals, you know, get back to my roots, you know, and where I come from. And, and it was good to, to have more time to think about everything, you know, live, live that life. You know, of course, we got family. And I love my kids. I love to be with my kids. But for this fight, I decide to strictly leave the fight. You know, leave the 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 goal that to win this fight. You fought for a championship before, and you've been a champion before, of course, in the World Series of Fighting. How much urgency is there in this fight, uh, knowing that you've won, I believe, just one of your last four fights? What's the sense of urgency like going into this compared to a championship fight? Do you have that same mentality as if almost like it's a championship fight? Yeah, I would say yes. You know. Uh, it's all about the performance, you know. I want to perform well, and I want to get the, everything that I was doing before. I want to put in a, an, on the table on, on the octagon Saturday night, you know. And I work it hard for that, and I visualize that happening, and, and I'm ready. I'm ready to do it. After those fights that I just mentioned, did you go back and, and look and think, you know, wh- where did I go wrong? Were you able to identify what the issue might have been for you? Because we've seen you compete with the best guys in the world and beat the best guys in the world time and time again. So what happened in those fights that you think might have been different from what happened for your past successes? Yeah, I fought with the best, you know, and I don't want to take anything away from these guys. You know, they're all good fighters and I, I, I made mistakes, you know, what they did too, but they, they took advantage of those mistakes, you know, and I'm just going into that one, the next one right now, and I'm looking to don't make no mistake, and if my, my opponent does it, I want to take it. Where do you think this opponent uh, measures up against your past three opponents? Like you mentioned, those guys are some of the top guys, Sanhagen, Font, um, Dvalosvili, those guys are top, top guys. Do you think that Song Yudong is in the same category as them? Yeah, like you said before, uh, he's a rising star, you know, and um, he's been fighting with some of the top guys. I've seen uh, a couple of his last fights. He's performing well, he's doing great. Just everything he's doing, I can do as well. And we're gonna match up Saturday night and see who's, who's the best one to do those things. How much time did you spend away from your family and have you been able to see them uh, before coming for this fight? Not yet. I just decided to stay here, focus, living the life, living the fight and visualizing this this performance you know i think this is going to be one of my best performance and i'm very excited for saturday night and i don't want to go see them now i want to bring this victory home and have them taste a little bit when i get back home do your kids understand what's going on do they are they able to rationalize why you're not home or anything along those lines yeah they know they know that dad is working hard you know and he's giving everything he got uh for this career for this life that he lives, he loves. And they are my supporters, you know, Rafael and Ryan. And I do that for them. They know it. And that's what I'm doing Saturday night. Saturday night, I'm performing for, for my family. And after everything, everything can be all celebration. When did you arrive in Las Vegas? 
I arrived in Vegas uh, last week. So I guess you were probably there for Edson's fight. I know he's a good f uh, friend of yours. Was that a tough one for you to watch? Yeah, you know, it's 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 hard to 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 see a friend losing, you know, and he's a hard working guy, and he just didn't didn't have the timing, you know, on the fight. And I, I and we we can't take away from Bryce, you know, Bryce is a good fighter as well, and he knew and he 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 felt the moment and he he capitalized, um, had some mistakes. He took over, and it was just hard for Edson to get the back. I think you nailed it, though, with timing. Your timing is really Edson's best. At, you know, if he gets you at the right time, you're done. <laughs> right? That's how good Edson is. And I think Bryce just did a really good jo job of figuring out when Edson was going to strike. Yeah, um, I believe that uh, some moments at the fight when Edson was, like, in the end of the first round, that he was, like, taking over uh, the round finish. And on the beginning of the second, that he was very confident, you know, walking in, like finishing the first love he did, you know. So, and and uh, Bryce was able to catch his kick and take him down again, you know. I think those two moments were big for him. Next month, you've got Aljamain Sterling, the champion, against the interim champion, Piotr Jan. You've been in there with Aljamain Sterling before. How do you think that one plays out? Uh, I think Jan's gonna win. You know, he's a better fighter, in my opinion. He's the best 135 right now, and it's 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 his fight. You know, I think it's just a matter of walking there and have a good performance and win. He's a guy that he always he doesn't disappoint. He goes out there and he performs, and I just think uh, he got Aljo time. Aljo is a great fighter too. I don't want to take anything away from him. My opinion, of course, he's the champion, and but. I just think uh, Peter is, is going to win that one. Did you train with Peter at all while you were in Thailand? Yeah, I was in Thailand and I was with him on the camp and I and I saw how he was training and he's taking it really serious, you know, and I believe he he's well prepared for this one. He's an interesting fighter to watch because you see him kind of downloading information, like he's learning while he's in there with somebody and then he just he, something happens and he just he knows what's going to happen next and is able to capitalize it's, it's a very rare attribute that a fighter has yeah that's a that's good feeling you you got good eyes i think uh he he feel he, he takes you know and he works so hard that he knows at some point on the fight he's gonna take over i think he he has been doing that so what's your goal for this weekend what do you want people to say at the end of the fight um, after after you get a victory, what are they going to say about Marlon Rice? I'm still in, you know. I'm still in here, you know. I still belong in, and you know, I want everybody to see a great performance, you know. And I know I'm ready, and I know I can do that. And I was doing that for the last eight weeks, and I, I can wait for Saturday, perform well, feel well, and get the victory. People have short memories in this sport. I mean, even your last fight, if you look at the first round of that fight, that was nearly a 10-8 round in your favor against another really top guy. Uh, do you think that that's one of the problems? Is that people just don't remember how good Marlon Moraes is. You need to remind them. Yes, they will be reminded on Saturday night. Don't worry. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried at all. I know what Marlon Moraes can do. That's why they call you magic. Appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck this weekend against Song Yudong, and look forward to speaking with you again soon. Appreciate to talk with you always. Please be joined now by Javed Basharat, representing Afghanistan, you know, similar to the likes of C.R. Bahadur Zada, Nazrat Hakbarast, a, a long line of Afghan fighters in the UFC. 
How's this fight week been different for you? It's, of course, your first uh, main UFC fight week uh, after being on Contender Series last year. It's been a very smooth fight week because uh, everything's here in Vegas. Um, this is one of the reasons I wanted to fight here instead of the, the London card because uh, I know these things, they can get a bit um, complicated and a little bit dramatic when the, fight, when the weight cut's happening and stuff. Uh, but here, I've been in the heart of Vegas and everything was right here at my doorstep. And you train here for the most part as well, so uh, I, easy travels for you. Yeah, the last six months I've been based out in Vegas, so I've just been try, uh, training, waiting to get a fight, and the only fight that they could uh, get me was this in March. Um, they also offered me London, but the London card's been scrapped so many times, I couldn't afford to not fight before Ramadan. So I was just like, you know what, I'll do it here in Vegas. So I guess you fast during Ramadan and don't, uh, you won't compete during those, I guess it's one month? Yeah, yeah, I won't be competing in Ramadan. I, I always train during Ramadan, but not, not competition. It's very rare that you see uh, Muslim athletes uh, compete during Ramadan. I know Bal Muhammad did it. He said he had a whole system that he had worked out about how he could make it work, but I know that it's, uh, it's not ideal. Yeah, he's a monster. I don't know how he did it. I even asked him. I, I met him a few times. He's a lovely guy. I asked him, and he just, he just made it work. I don't know how he did it. I, I wouldn't be able to do the same. Credit to him. Credit goes to him. So the London card, they had asked you to be on that one. Obviously, your, your family lives in London. But yeah. uh, why, why did you decide to, to stay in Vegas instead of going to that card? So just real quick, like you touched on the London thing. I represent Afghanistan because that's where I'm from and, and that's where my roots are, are from. But London is very dear to me and it's very close to my heart because that's where I grew up. I've been living in London and uh, I was training in London. Uh, I, I, had, I barely left the country in about... 20 years and uh, I feel like uh, people think I'm not representing England you know I represent England just as much but I feel like Afghanistan is where I'm from and uh, they don't get their fair share of of uh, fighters or like athletes to, to represent them on the big stage so that's why I represent Afghanistan but don't get don't get it twisted England is very close to my heart now uh, back, back to my back to your question as to why I fought here it's because I was already climatized and settled the uh, in Vegas at this point, my camp is out here. Um, I didn't want to complicate things uh, with the travel. Plus, I didn't know the COVID situation, how it was going to be. The fight was offered to me maybe 16 weeks before the fight, 14, 15 weeks before the fight. And um, the COVID situation with the Omicron or, or whatever it's called was uh, getting a little bit hectic over in England. So I didn't know if the card might get scrapped like it did the last few times. And I couldn't afford to not fight before Ramadan. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, things have changed a lot in the last fifteen weeks, so I, I understand where you're coming from. Uh, so, yeah. Trevin Jones as an opponent, what did you think about him when he was offered to you? When he was offered to me, I was uh, at first I was like, "Wow, this is a is a great fight for me because just stylistically." And two, then when I thought about it, I was like, "Man, this uh, really has a uh, I really have an opportunity here to steal the show because Trevin's a banger, you know. He comes to fight, and I come to fight, and I know this fight's going to be great." I just know it's going to be great. So I'm in like a win-win situation. Uh, if it's a tough grinding fight and I come out on top, I'm going to look good because it's going to be a, uh, a fight of the night. And uh, if I blow him out of the water, which I think I will, uh, I'm going to look good because I took out a tough guy. It's better to get the performance bonus than the fight of the night bonus. Usually if there's a fight of the night bonus, it means you've, you've been through some stuff. Man, I, I don't even think about a fight of the night. I'm just thinking about the fans where they, from their perspective. But... Fire the night for me is like, I feel like a loss. It feels like a loss. 
And you have a brother that's uh, doing big things in MMA. I, I know you mentioned to me before this interview, he's competing in Spain the same night as you're competing. Uh, you'll, you'll be able to watch his fight, though, I imagine, because of the time zone uh, differential. But when are we going to be seeing your, your younger brother, Farood, in the uh, UFC? So, to be honest with you, I don't think I'll be seeing this fight because I'm fighting at uh, roughly around 3 p.m. Vegas time, which is like 11 or 10.30 or 10 uh, p.m. in Spain. And that, and he's the main event, so that's the time he's going to be roughly <laughs> fighting. So I don't even think we'll be able to catch each other. Let's see. But, um, yeah, man, he's a terrific fighter. He's ready, and he needs to be in the UFC as soon as possible because, uh, man, he's a terrific fighter. You can just ask anybody he trains with. I can see your parents sitting there with two screens in front of them because you guys are on at the same time. Or, or no screens. <laughs> because cause, cause they, 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 uh, they panic when they watch us fight, you know. I don't, I don't know how it is for other parents, but for, for my parents, it's a bit nerve-wracking, you know. So have they never watched any of your fights? No, they watch the fights, but like sometimes uh, my brother will record my dad's reaction and <laughs> he's not even watching the fight. Like, or like my mom's reaction, you know, they're not even watching the fight. One... They don't know. Well, my dad knows like what's going on, but my mom doesn't even know what's going on. So every time I'm in like a a fifty fifty type situation, she's like panicking and stuff. So she ends up not watching the the fight, and I'm like, oh man. And your fight on Contender Series got a lot of attention because your your opponent, who is from Israel, uh, called you a terrorist at, at weigh-ins, which obviously brought a lot of attention that otherwise wouldn't have been on your fight uh, onto your fight. I thought you handled it very well, uh, not just beforehand, but in the aftermath as well. Um, how did people react to that story that, that you knew? How did people, what did people say when they reached out to you? People were just showing me like crazy amount of support of uh, my character and how I handled the situation. And uh, then the performance, I felt like the, the, the performance I put on uh, went hand in hand because everybody wanted to see this guy lose. But what they really wanted was for this guy to get a beating. And a beating is what he got, you know? And people were just showing me a lot of support and congratulating me, saying, uh, well done, how I conducted myself as a person, and then in the fight also. Were you able to enter that fight without emotions and just think of it as another fight But you know, after that situation happened? Oh, Listen, the, my mindset, I don't know how other people go into fights, but my mindset will always be the same. For me, like I know how people go, oh, it's just business, it's this and that. For me, it's never business. It's never, it's always personal. I, I'm signing to have a fight with you, a fist fight with you, the same way I would have a fight with you in a car park or in a, you know, on the street. So it's always going to be personal. Doesn't mean I, I, doesn't mean I have anything against you, but you want to fight me, so it's personal, you know? Um, and, and that's how I see it always. So it doesn't matter. I'm already assuming the worst, that he's thinking the worst of me. He doesn't have to show me respect or he doesn't have to show me any animosity for me. Uh, to take it personal, it's just how how I am going into a fight. Yeah, I thought you put it very succinctly. It's you know, you know he, he can say what he wants, but ultimately he's signing a contract because he thinks he can beat me. <laughs> that's enough of an affront to you as is that, that somebody exactly. believes that they're going to be take what's yours on that night. I think that's a, a very good way of looking at it. Yeah, exactly, man. Like, don't get it twisted. This is a sport. Uh, it's commissioned and everything, but it's a fight first. You know, and my, my life at the end of the day is on, on the line, and my my. My my, uh, my my purse is on the line, my uh, my family support, everybody, you know, I, you don't want to disappoint them, so it is very personal, you know? You're 11-0, 11 finishes, you've never lost a fight, I don't know if you've lost, I saw your amateur career, it said you only fought once and you won that fight, so you've never really tasted defeat, 
No. I had four amateur fights. Uh, I've never lost a fight. All finishes. Never uh, really. I never faced defeat, but the way everybody's like talking about how how um, I won't be able to handle uh, a loss and all of these things because I haven't felt it. It's true. By theory, it, it, it sounds right, but not not if you see the way I train. I'm putting myself in compromised positions and training all the time where I know how it feels to lose. I know how it feels to, to win. I know how it feels for a round to go bad and then me having to fix it, you know? These things, are, I, 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 this is one of the reasons I think I'm undefeated also is because I prepare for every situation, you know? And the O, it, it means a lot to me because I, like, I, I don't ever want to lose. But at the same time, it's, it's more for the people. Like for me, every fight, I'm going into the fight with a, it's my first fight and it's my last fight, you know? It's a very different approach because you're, you're concerned about how the fans react to your fight, which I think is very different from a lot of a lot of people are like, I just need to win. But you don't, you seem to not put that same pressure on yourself. It's more like you kind of stripped it down to something where you have two kind of things in mind, which is you're entering a fight. So whatever happens in the fight happens in the fight. You, you know that you're prepared for it. And B, you also want to entertain people as part of that. So exactly. you're kind of taking a little bit of a different approach than a lot of others. Yeah, so because I understand the business model, I understand how it is. At the end of the day, without the fans, we're just ordinary people, you know? We're just ordinary people that just like to fight. Um, the fans are, are, are a big part of the sport and, and they need to be entertained when you're fighting. But make no mistakes about it. Um, fighting comes first and this is warfare, so that's my, my mentality. Well, having watched some of your fights in preparation for this interview, I can say definitively that you're definitely not ordinary, and we appreciate your time. Thank you for this. Look forward to seeing you facing uh, Trevin Jones in UFC uh, debut this weekend, uh, and hope to see your brother following your footsteps by the end of this year. Yes, I uh, appreciate that, Aaron. Have a good one. I'm pleased to be joined now by Khalil Roundtree, who will be taking on Carl Roberson, someone with the same initials as yourself, this week at uh, UFC Fight Night. Now, I, uh, I was reading an article about you in No Echo, and uh, this, this is the line that kind of caught me by surprise. It was the last, uh, the last part of the article. You were asked about the biggest misconception about you as a fighter, which was that you want to talk about fighting, care about other fighters, or want to watch fights with random people. <laughs> so how much MMA do you actually watch and think about outside of when you're practicing or you know, actually in the cage? Uh, it really depends. If I know someone that's, you know, that's a friend or someone that I support, then I'll watch. Um, if it's... You know, if it's a good fight card that, you know, it seems like everybody's watching, then I'll, I'll watch it as well. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think that I'm as, you know, as much of a fan as as most people that are also, like, involved in fighting. Yeah, it seems to me like you have a lot of uh, different hobbies outside the cage um, that, that you've had really since you were kind of an adolescent, which is music. Um, you know, different lifestyle, fashion, things of that nature. Is that what occupies most of your time when you're when you're not thinking about fighting? Uh, yeah, when I'm not thinking about fighting. Um, yeah, I, I think what what may be forgotten is that, like, you know, not too long ago, I think we're approaching 11 years now. But uh, before this, you know, before MMA, I was, like I said, three 300 pounds. You know, just a completely in a completely different world of, of MMA, you know, like I was traveling with bands, selling merch on tour. Most of my friends are musicians or artists or, you know, creatives of some sort. And, um, yeah. So I think that there's just a part of me that 
never really went away and there's still that you know that core that that still you know likes to enjoy the things that i did when you know when i was a kid I saw that after your last fight against Modestas Bukowskis, you landed a, an oblique kick that people were bothering you about online. And a lot of people think that it's whatever, a cheap maneuver, but hey, you're in the cage, there's rules, you're following the rules of the game. You were at a terror show, and you went inside and, and got, to do, um, <laughs> got to get on vocals for a little bit and let that out. So is that, is that, is that kind of how you got into MMA in the first place? You, had, you just had a lot of stuff inside, and you needed to find ways to channel uh, you know, getting, getting that out. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, um, you know, hardcore music itself um, was a place that I found uh, refuge in a way for just a lot of the emotional pain that I had growing up from my father being murdered to just, you know, having, you know, self, just a lot of just issues with myself, um, you know, kind of being raised. My mom, my mom raised us in a great place, but, you know, it was like kind of suburbs. So, not many you know people of my race in that area so kind of just like i just had a lot of a lot of anger that i that i had built in um a lot of things to say growing up and hardcore was one of those things that um was was always my release so um it was it was great to be able to um have terror come into town you know shortly after that fight so that i could kind of tap back into um you know to one of my ways of of you know dealing with my emotions so is that what helped get you through your teenage years kind of thing before you started going to the gym was just was music and then traveling, like you said, traveling with bands and, and things like that? Yeah, I think the, the things that were biggest, um, you know, the, the biggest things to me when I was growing up were uh, definitely music um, anywhere from like, like a lot of like punk rock um, and skateboarding. I really, you know, although I was a heavier kid, I really found you know, I really found a connection to skateboarding and that was just something that kind of helped me, yeah, just escape everything else that I felt was, you know, was bothering me. A lot of that is just community, right? Like, I'm sure you found a lot of like-minded people that you could relate to and could relate to you and that that is also, of course, a big help during those yeah, years. Absolutely. The, the friends and, and relationships that I built through, you know, through music and going to shows here in Vegas and, and skateboarding after school. And yeah, it, it, it built a great solid community and, and friendship. And how far did you travel on tour with these bands? Which bands did you travel with? Were they just local bands that I wouldn't have heard of or were they kind of bigger bands? Um, I mean, if you're into like the metal core type of genre, um, I traveled with a band called Molotov Solution, um, Impending Doom also. And then along with those two is who I mainly work with. Then we traveled with bands like the Acacia Strain, August Burns Red, Suicide Silence, Whitechapel. So very like heavy, um, you know, heavy metal influence at the time. I've heard of two of those bands, so I'm doing okay. I'm okay, doing, good. <laughs> in the grand scheme of that, I'm doing okay. Uh, I mean, the, my, my teenage years were very similar. I listened to a lot of uh, a lot of hardcore music. I think I'm probably a bit young, a bit older than you are, so I was more into the Victory Records kind of thing. But, um, yeah, but Vic, I mean, like I traveled with more metal bands, but um, you know, it was it was definitely like the hardcore bands that that uh, that I was m most excited to see live. You know what I mean? Because like hardcore and metal are two different type of scenes. Um, the hardcore scene was definitely more like community based, right? Like we would, you know, we would mosh, we would help each other out that like, you know, if, if certain crews were against each other, we'd trying to find some type of like resolve, 
you know, it was it was definitely more like community. Was head stomping a thing back then, or was that just when I was younger? It's always going to be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, because I mentioned it to somebody recently, they had no clue what I was talking about. Like somebody who was into the genre, they just didn't know what I was talking about. Yeah, it's it's always going to be a thing. <laughs> So I guess a lot of what you did back then in terms of getting into pits and things like that, again, kind of channeled over to when you started to train in MMA and train in martial arts, like that, that kind of release. And it, it, how much did that help you um, in your transition kind of into adulthood? So what it was is I was actually, I was, before I started uh, training and fighting, I was on tour and um, it, was, it was at a very... I felt like that was like the darkest moment, like internally, because I just had a lot of, a lot of questions about life and just a lot of confusion. And, um, I remember there was a break in between the tours that I was going on. And that's when I discovered MMA through my brother, he was watching it on TV. And so by the way that they were training, um, and just the things that they were saying, I found, I, I saw a bit of a connection there. And at that time I'm like, you know what, I got to get healthy. I'm 19 years old, 300 pounds. Like I, you know, I just feel like I'm going to die at any moment just from health, you know, from health reasons. So the fact that MMA and, and, and just kind of like going to shows that, that aggression was very, very similar. And so that's kind of what opened the door and, and led me into, to going and finding an MMA gym. So MMA and martial arts was basically not on your radar at all. You get into the gym, yeah. And what made you realize that you could do this as a living at some point in time? It was my um, the first class that I took. Um, I had a trainer by the name of Michael Costa, and he's the one that after the class I took a Muay Thai class. After the Muay Thai class, he was like, "Hey, have you done this before?" And I told him, "No, never." And he's like, "Well, it seems like you have, you know, this kind of natural ability. Um, why don't you come back? You know, come back tomorrow. We have the class at the same time." And um, that was really cool because I'd never really felt like welcomed into any type of like sport or team or anything. So I really took that to heart. And um, it was just that, you know, that small bit of encouragement and um, and yeah, the small bit of encouragement that that had me go the next day. And then the next day turned into the next and then it just became a thing. Yeah, was that kind of the first real praise you've gotten from somebody outside of your family about something that you were good at? Um, no, because in the, like growing up, just all of the different instruments that I taught myself how to play, um, I was never like a master at any of them, but I, you know, from keyboard to drums, to bass, to acoustic and electric guitar, any, any instrument that I picked up, um, I would just teach myself how to play it by just listening to music, locking myself in my room and letting it, you know, letting it all flow. Um, and I got, I got some praise, you know, from, from friends and from my mom and stuff like that, but never really anybody outside. Cause I'd always been just an introverted guy. So how much does rhythm help you in terms of your fighting and in terms of when you're working out, what, what kind of music are you listening to? And does that help you in terms of timing? Um, I think rhythm plays a huge part. Um, I listen to all different types of music. It really just depends on what gear, um, what gear I'm looking to, to get into, you know what I mean? Um, you know, sometimes if it's a, if it's a rough day, if my body's feeling sore and I feel like I got to pull myself up out of the mud, you know, hardcore is great for that. (laughs) You know what I mean? If, if I'm having a day where, you know, I've got some, you know, self doubts or something, then, you know, I might put on like U2 or something, just something way out of the blue. 
Um, but but the rhythm definitely definitely helps just keep the beat. And you're back in Las Vegas now. I saw you were back at Syndicate. Uh, how long have you been back in Vegas for uh, in terms of training? I know you were in Thailand for some time. Yeah, so after Thailand, I came back to America. Um, and uh, what was that? Last year. So it's been a year now. And um, yeah, I spend my time here, uh, train back at Syndicate. I was training there before I had left uh, doing my travels. So um, yeah, it's been about a year now. And are you planning on staying here for you know the, the remainder of your career, or do you uh, hope to travel again and, and take your uh, training camps elsewhere? Uh, well, I definitely I spend I spend half of my time in Vegas and half of my time in New York. Um, when I'm training for fights, I have my my home here, and this is my fight camp apartment. And then when um, after fights, then I spend time in in New York City with my girlfriend. And how are you liking that part of your life? Does it feel like that's kind of uh, a whole different life when you're in New York versus when you're in Vegas? You know, it, it finally feels like the part of me that I had lost is back, which is the the creative side, the side that wants to kind of continue to explore and travel and go to shows and, you know, meet new people and meet people who are in the, you know, art and music and skateboarding space. Um, I feel like New York has been just that open door for me to meet so many new people in in that realm. And so it's a great balance right now. It's a it's a fantastic balance. When I'm there, I'm just focused on me. And when I'm here, I'm 100 percent focused on fighting. And Carl Roberson as an opponent, is this the kind of stylistic matchup you like? This guy, is a, he's a former kickboxer, he does have really good ground skills that are underrated. Uh, but is this the kind of matchup that you you relish? It's more of a stand-up affair. Um, you know, that's really hard to say. Um, yeah, it's 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 really hard to say. I, I I don't really know how to answer that question. But um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. See, I I did a good move by not talking so much about your fights and about fighting and just kind of talking about you as a person. I think that everybody gets asked these same questions about matchups and things like that. I'm trying to keep yeah. it keep it interesting, but that that's no, uh that's a two-way street, so I appreciate your help with that. Yeah, no no problem. Um yeah, I think overall, um just speaking about the fight and the the most that I can say is that I'm fully prepared and I've trained really hard and you know, I just I plan to go in there and, and really just be the best version of myself and come out victorious. And that's that's all I can really say as far as a bunch of other stuff. Like, I don't really know how to put that stuff into words, but, you know, it will be an exciting fight. And and yeah, hell yeah. There was a time where you had mentioned retirement. I think it was a couple of years ago. And obviously you changed your tune on that. But uh, how much longer are you hoping to, to continue doing this? Um. You know, I, I haven't really put like an end marker on it. When I was mentioning retirement, um, I was, you know, I was living in Thailand and I had found a place that, you know, I wanted to spend the rest of my life there. And I saw how simple of a life majority of the people were living, but they were still so happy, like happy to the core. And they weren't really striving for like all of these big, bold, great things. And, and, and that touched like a certain part in my heart where I'm like, you know what, if I were to work at a coffee shop here and just serve the people, I'd be completely happy. So it was just, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a battle at first, but then I just came to a point where, you know, I, I realized that like, no, I have a lot of potential. I'm really not done fighting. Um, I still have a lot to give and that's where I'm at right now is just, you know, I've put both feet in and just giving a hundred percent effort and, 
yeah, when the when it's time to close the door, it's time to close the door. But I really don't have a um, you know I don't have a date or a time frame or anything when that'll be. And do you hope that in the future you'll still be able to fulfill that kind of a life, kind of a more simple life where, where you don't worry about a lot of these external factors? Uh, yeah, partially. Yeah, I, I think I think that there's a way to have that simplicity no matter where I am. You know, like I think I think what I've realized too is it's more of an internal thing than it is external. So um, yeah, I think I think moving forward. Um, I'll still be able to find it regard like wh- wherever I am in the world, whether it's here, Thailand or Hong Kong, you know? Well, you'll have to teach me the, the secret to that. So, you know, I, I'm always <laughs> I'm always trying to think of the next thing I'm going to be doing. Uh, but I, I appreciate uh, your time. Uh, best of luck this weekend. And it's a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. A big thank you to all of our guests, Kayla Harrison, Peter Murray, Magomed Ankalaev, Javed Basharat, and Khalil Rountree for joining me. Oh, and I forgot Magic Marlon Rice as well for joining me here on the TSN MMA Show Interview Edition. Always a pleasure catching up with these great athletes to talk about what's going on in their worlds. And we'll be back next week with more great interviews pertaining to next weekend's card. Uh, Should be a fun one ahead of us as the uh, UFC continues to roll along as they look towards UFC 273 in Jacksonville in just a couple weeks. Hamza Shamaya versus Gilbert Burns added to that card. I can't wait for that one. So we'll get out of here. We'll see you next week. Please rate and review the show wherever you get these podcasts, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.